0: Uh, Well, good morning again, uh, everybody. Uh, During Lent this year, we're reading together about the things that happened uh, during the last days uh, before Jesus' crucifixion. We are reading together about that final week after the triumphal entry and before uh, Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And uh, part of what Jesus does that week is prepare the people around him and prepare us to keep on being his disciples after his death and resurrection and ascension. And uh, this morning we're gonna read a parable that Jesus told that does just that, tells us how to keep on being his disciples. So I'm gonna read from Matthew 25 for us, verses one through 13. You can follow along uh, in the order of worship where it's printed or you can just listen as I read from Matthew 25. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this this word. We thank you for this teaching from Jesus. And we ask, um, as we always do, that you would use this word that is alive to come by your spirit and meet us in exactly the places where we find ourselves this morning. Those of us who are hungry and thirsty and ready to hear from you and those of us who aren't and those of us who aren't even sure why we're here. Father, meet us in this word, show us how much you love us in Jesus and we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, uh, back uh, in the fall in October, I mentioned at the front end of a sermon that I have this habit of uh, overstaying. <laughs> it's, uh, it's this thing that's been happening my whole life, as in uh, we will leave a party or a dinner at one of your houses or something like that, and Allison will say to me, how many times do I have to squeeze your leg under the table? <laughs> Couldn't you see them yawning? <laughs> uh, and uh, here's the five-month follow-up to that very public confession. I keep on doing it. <laughs> And I know that I keep on doing it because Allison keeps telling me that I'm, that I'm doing it. And like I said back then, I don't think it's that I don't get social cues. Uh, I don't think that's it. I also carry a phone with me that has the time on it, so I generally know how late it's getting when I'm at somebody's place. I think what it is is uh, that when I'm at a party or when I'm having dinner with friends or when I'm just hanging out with people and laughing and joking with people, I'm getting a small taste of something that I have been made for, but have never really gotten my hands around. And it feels great, but not quite complete. And so I wanna linger and soak up as much of it as I can. You know, we all uh, have experiences like that, I think. I mean, I hope we all have experiences like that. It might not be hanging out for you. It might be a meal that you eat or maybe a meal that you cook that makes you feel it or a place that you go to in nature or a piece of music or a great workout or maybe it's something else. C.S. Lewis uh, calls this the, the inconsolable secret that we all share. The scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news of a country we have not yet visited. And that's, that's the idea, that idea that we have been made for something that we haven't yet gotten our hands fully around. That idea beats at the heart of the parable that we just read together. Jesus builds that parable around an image, and it's an image that looms large in a lot of his par- parables. In fact, it's an image that's so central to his teaching that the rest of the New Testament writers pick it up and they run with it like they're being chased. The image is a party But it's not just any party, it's the party to end all parties. (laughs) It is that non-stop party to end all parties. It's this huge wedding feast. It is the party that all of the little parties we've ever thrown, that all of the parties that we've ever been to in our lives are just small tastes of. It's the, the party that happens at the end of time. It's the party that the Apostle John calls the Marriage Supper of the Lamb Church. That is the party that we have been made for, and that is the party that we are headed to. But we're not there yet. We haven't walked through that door yet. The door has not been shut behind us yet. We've heard news of that party, but we have not been there. So how are we supposed to live now in light of it? How do we live now? Jesus tells this parable to answer that question for people like us. It's part of this really large block of teaching that started with uh, a question from Jesus' disciples. They are concerned, honestly, a little bit concerned. Uh, After all of the back and forth with the religious insiders and the politicos that we have been talking about for the last two weeks, uh, Jesus lights into the scribes and Pharisees with this sermon. It's a sermon of seven woes for them. It's a a hair-raising sermon. You can read it later in Matthew 23. And then when that sermon is finished, he laments over the holy city, and he starts walking away. And as he starts walking away, some of his disciples point out the temple to him, point out some of the buildings around the temple. And Jesus' response is to tell them that one day, all of that stuff is going to be destroyed. Now... You know, talking about the end of the temple for some of Jesus' disciples, it was like talking about the end of the world. They are concerned and so they say, when are these things going to be? What's the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Matthew 24 and 25 are Jesus' answer to that question and our parable is part of it. The frame upon which Jesus builds this parable is his own return at some unknown point in the future. And he makes it out like when that day comes, it's going to be a party. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. What Jesus is talking about there is that last uh, beautiful, colorful movement in a wedding celebration right before the big feast starts. In and around where Jesus uh, hung out, most wedding ceremonies were really uh, very elaborate events. They would include the whole village. They often lasted for days. And so what would happen is the, the nuptials, the thing that we would call the ceremony and the vows, that would happen in the morning or that would happen during the day at the bride's house. And then after that was over, the bride would stay put with her family and other people would go off and scatter to different celebrations. And the groom and his family they would go and make preparations for the big party, for the wedding feast that night. And then at some point after sunset, the bridegroom would make his way to get his bride and he would take her to the wedding feast. And it was a big, uh, beautiful torch-lit parade with music and, and singing and dancing. And that's where these women with their lamps come in. They're kind of like what we might call bridesmaids. It was their job to light the procession. It was their job to light the parade that ushered the bride and the groom to the feast. And once they got there, once they finished that job, the party started. Pretty uh, pretty great job. So let me stop us for a minute so that we can remember Jesus said that this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. He says, then this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. As in, this is going to happen. This is going to go down. That's a part of, part of this parable that Jesus tells that his original hearers might have taken for granted, but we don't often think like they do. So let me just say it. History and human life, your life and my life, It doesn't go around in circles. It doesn't twist around endlessly in circles. The story of God in this world is headed somewhere. And I want you to know church that the God who created this world in justice and in peace and in beauty and joy. He means to remake it once and for all. In peace and in beauty and in justice and in joy. That is the target to which the arrow has long been headed. And one day it will hit the bullseye. The bridegroom is definitely going to get his bride to the party. And that big party is definitely going to happen. It's ironclad. As the late uh, Robert Capon put it, he wills the eternal picnic to begin. It's not a maybe on God's part. In church, that means that it it certainly shouldn't be a maybe on our part either. One day that party is going to happen. One day that door will shut behind us. And part of growing up as a Christian, part of maturing as a Christian person here in the present is understanding that part of being a Christian is to always be preparing for that incredible moment. When the party at the end of time begins. It's definitely going to happen. There is no maybe about it. We're not there yet. We've heard whispers about this party. And hopefully, by his grace, all of us have had small tastes of that party, right? We, we experience peace and we experience beauty and joy and justice in fits and starts now. And sometimes, honestly, all we can see is just the opposite of that. Chaos and ugliness and injustice and suffering. People like us, we live with broken and and breaking relationships and and frustrated hopes and addictions and distractions and diseases. Our bodies don't work the way we want them to work. Our minds don't work the way they should work. Our, Our political systems, our court systems, they don't work the way they should. The list is long. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live faithfully right now in this long night? Well, that's what Jesus is teaching us in this parable about the bridesmaids. Five of them were foolish, Jesus says, and five of them were wise. And here's how you can tell the difference between the two. The foolish ones just took their lamps. But the wise one took took flasks of oil with their lamps. Half the crew goes out running lean, and the other half of the crew goes out with a reserve flask. Not exactly the accessory you want to lug to a party, but they do it anyway. (laughs) Now when Jesus divides that bridal party in half using the categories of foolish and wise church, you gotta know he's not using intellectual categories. He's using spiritual categories. He's tapping into this uh, stream of teaching that runs straight through scripture that says that wisdom has been built by God into the grain of this world. Wisdom has been built into the grain of this world. He knows how this world works best. He knows what it takes to have human beings flourish in it. And if we want to taste that good, if you and I want to experience that good, then we will walk in that grain of wisdom. By contrast, of course, is the way of foolishness in which scripture and scripture always leads to regret and to misery and to trouble. And in Scripture, you, you know, the difference between the foolish and the wise is always clear. The fool, <laughs> the fool doesn't think past the end of his nose. He's always making choices based on what looks good in the moment, whatever is in front of him at that very time. The wise person, the wise person is always thinking past the end of her nose, though. The most important point of reference in the wise person's life is never only what's just in front of her. It's never only what she can just see in that moment. Instead, she lives her whole life in reference to this God that she cannot see right now, that she knows is there. That's the beginning of Wisdom Church, and everything, everything finds its proper place in a life that is lived like that. These are the categories that Jesus is using. It's important for us to understand that because if we don't get that, we won't get the the mystery of what happens next and the crisis that it evokes. Here's what Jesus says in verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. The main character in the story The character who's really driving all of the action that everyone else is responding to, he's missing. (laughs) He's been delayed. No one knows where he is. His whereabouts are a mystery. The time of his arrival is unknown. And church, this is the world that you and I live in. Jesus is telling this parable for us. He's telling us how to wait for him. And Jesus is saying exactly this to people like us. He's saying precisely in this moment, real wisdom is required. The wise ones are the ones who order their lives in reference to the God who is most certainly going to show up for the party at the end of time, even though we can't see him now. So they're all snoozing and then at midnight comes the cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And they all wake up excitedly and they they start getting their lamps ready and five of them find much to their chagrin that the oil is running low, that their lamps are going out so they ask the other five for some of the oil they brought along, some of that reserve and the wise ones say, no way, (laughs) no way no way, because there won't be enough for us and for you. If we do that, then some of the procession will be in the dark and that is a bust-out procession. So they send the foolish virgins off to the marketplace to get their own oil. And the last that we hear of the wise virgins is that they went in with the bridegroom to the marriage feast. All is well for them. Why? Well, on the surface, it's easy to answer because they're the ones who had the oil, but the oil isn't really the point. It is their preparation that mattered. Another way to say it, which gets at the point that Jesus is pressing here, is that their preparation was a visible sign of the faith that they had in the bridegroom who was delayed. They knew him and they knew he was coming. And that was a knowing that had sunk deep down into who they really were. They had faith in this hidden bridegroom and that faith worked itself out in wisdom. Bringing the oil was a natural consequence of this life that was ordered in faith around the one they couldn't see but were absolutely sure was coming. And in the end, it's clear. They got into the party because they knew the bridegroom. And the bridegroom knew them. And that is, of course, precisely the reason the foolish virgins can't come in after the door is shut. I mean, if the deal was just having some oil, they've got that covered. They've been off to the midnight market. They've got their oil. They've come back. But he doesn't tell them they can't come in because they don't have oil. He says, I don't know you. And church... That is the uppercut that Jesus always slips into his parables so that people like us get hit in the mouth and have to think. The thing that mattered for them, for me, for you, is that it comes down to genuinely being in relationship with the guy who is throwing the party. And to have that knowing sink down into a life of faith that is lived wisely over this long, dark night in reference to him. Stanley Hauerwas um, was a theologian who taught at Duke and he said it like this when you're unsure of the time you're in it's important to do what you've been taught to do. <laughs> and perhaps the most basic of those things that we've been taught to do is to remain. It is to abide in faith in Jesus. And to make use of all of the things that he has given us to remember him and to strengthen us as his followers while we wait for him in this long night to show up. The things that he's given us, worship together and prayer and sacraments and scripture. This is what he's given us. The main preparation church is is fidelity. That's that's the oil, abiding and remaining in faith in Jesus. And you know what this means? This means that we will not be a people who nurse our doubts and who nourish our doubts, but instead we will be a people who pray and who serve others and who worship together to try and weaken our doubts. That's how it works, (laughs) We're a people of prayer, we're a people of worship, we're a people of service, and that weakens our doubt. And fidelity means that we will wisely become a people whose first impulse, whose very first impulse in the dark is to ask, what is the God who is coming, what does he have to say about this dark, and what has he done about this dark, and and what would he have people like us do about this dark? That's a wise people. That's an alert people. That's a people who are ready. Watch, therefore, Jesus says, because you don't know the day or the hour. And so I just want to say this as an epilogue. I mean, if you're like me at all, you hear this parable, and maybe what you feel is the uppercut. <laughs> I know I do feel all the ways that I've uh, acted a fool. And maybe that's where you go too. And that's not bad, church. That's not bad for people like us if it leads us to the truth. Because here's the truth. Jesus suffers fools gladly. He suffers fools gladly. He slips in. He takes our place. He gets locked out so that we can get inside to the party. That is the meaning of his cross. That is the meaning of his resurrection. That is the meaning of his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Jesus forgives fools who turn to him, church, and he changes them to look like him. Jesus makes simple people wise. And he's coming to take all of us who follow him in faith to the party to end all parties. And that is the truth. So follow him if you have not yet. Stay with him if you have. Come back if you've wandered away. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the ironclad inevitability that you will remake this world, that the arrow will hit the target, that you will come and take your bride to the party. Make us a people watchful and make us a people hopeful. Make us a people who cling in faith to the bridegroom so that we could grow up in our faith so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.